0: Robin Sills from St. Mary's Hospital. How's everybody doing out there? Welcome to another Medically Speaking, and we are Medically Speaking post blizzard. I hope everyone survived it. The roads weren't too bad today. I got to give a shout out to, to uh, the city of Waterbury. I lived in Waterbury almost my entire life, except for the bordering town of Prospect where I am now, and I thought the roads today were great. I mean, I left my house early this morning, the roads were wide. I went right down Peach Orchard Road from Prospect, and I had absolutely no trouble. So Joe Gary, if you're listening, did a great job. I saw you on the news last night. So you really did a great job. And they did a great job around our St. Mary's Hospital. um, And we were able to get our nurses back and forth from the Marriott where we had housed some of them so they can get in for the storm and take care of our patients. So big shout out again to the city. So again, I hope everyone's doing well. We are continuing on our topic of colorectal awareness month. Um, We had on earlier... This month we were speaking with our dietitian from St. Mary's Hospital and talking about diet and how to do a diet that helps prevent some colorectal uh, colorectal cancer and talking about high fiber in our diet. And tonight we're taking a different path. Tonight we're taking the path of genetics. Now, I think a lot of us are very familiar with genetics when we talk to uh, talk about breast cancer and talk about the breast cancer gene, BRCA, but I think very few of us are as educated on the gene for colorectal cancer which is called the Lynch Syndrome. And I thought tonight would be a great opportunity for us to talk a little bit about that, educate our community a little bit more about it. See if you are at risk, not just based on small family history, but larger connections in another way they may not be aware of. And I thought, you know, let me let me get this topic out there to the community. So I invited here tonight um, someone that's very a very big integral part of um, our Saint Mary's family that helps us with our genetic testing, and that is our APRN, Yvonne Reddy-Stein. Hi, Yvonne. Hi. Thank you so much for coming tonight. Thank you for having me. We are thrilled to have you. So now Yvonne starts, started out with us um, in a practice with our breast surgeon, Dr. Ellen Polakoff, out in Southbury. So you've been with Dr. Polakoff how long? Um, I'm gonna make you date I think yourself. It's t- I think this is the 12th year. The 12th year you've been with her. So um, what was your path? Now I know you're an APRN working with breast cancer patients with Dr. Polakoff. So what was your path to what you do now? When I started, um, we sent out
1: our patients who needed genetic testing down to Yale, and we found that it took too long, and it was a service that we wanted to offer the patients ourselves. So Dr. Sealing, when she joined St. Mary's, had the idea of having us do our genetic counseling and testing St. Mary's Hospital, and she approached me and asked me if I would like to do that. And so now we're
0: talking about Dr. Beth Sealing, who is chair of our breast surgery at St. Mary's, and so at the time, you know, Dr. Sealing and Dr. Polakoff were in the same office with you, and so it was her um, suggestion to start this process, which to me, that's the pioneer of it right there. Without a doubt. So I want to give Dr. Sealing a shout out on that. She's definitely the pioneer of this service. So you went for education on on counseling patients and doing the testing? Yeah,
1: so I started doing the counseling and, and testing and I got a little bit of education and then I realized that there was a lot to know yeah. and that it's constantly changing. Right. So I got more education. I went to uh, a special course at the City of Hope, which is in California. Now, what is that, the City of Hope? The City of Hope is one of the NCCN, uh, National Comprehensive Cancer Network Hospitals, and In most people's opinion, they are the end all and be all of of genetics. And their mission with this course is to teach healthcare providers how to assess people's risk, their genetic risk for cancer, and then bring it back. To their communities, how how in depth is this course? <laughs> <laughs> aye, aye, aye. Um, well, I joked around when I got the certificate; I, it was ninety um, credit hours. But mm-hmm. I joked around when I when I received the certificate that that I was missing a zero because it it was a lot of education over over a period of months and months, which ended in California for wow. a five day, forty hour classroom time it's called the intensive course and it really was intensive.
0: And you know going to nursing school and then going on afterwards to do your APRN and then studying for all those boards when you tell me something's intense you have (laughs) comparison to that so (laughs) truly I mean if you're saying it's intense then obviously it has to be that comprehensive.
1: I've never taken a course that gave me 90 credit hours that I felt like
0: gosh, this doesn't really represent all I did. Wow. It it was a lot. It was a lot. And that gave you what you needed to then start a program back with our breast surgeons. It it gave
1: me confidence that i was trained well by Mm -hmm. the the people who know what they're doing it also gave me a community because anyone who takes the course across Mm -hmm. the united states actually across the world the alumni then have access complete and total access to this community so when something comes up that i'm not sure of or something new comes along genetics-wise, all I have to do is contact the people in the listserv and say, hey, I ran into this situation or I had this patient. Wow. And then you get the best minds That's writing awesome. back and saying, this is what we do. And what
0: I what I love about this is the fact that everyone involved that goes out there for the training is a myriad of different Disciplines. So you have APRNs, you have some physicians, correct? Absolutely. There were surgeons, there were GYNs,
1: there were PAs, there were APRNs, awesome. and there
0: were genetic counselors. Yeah, and I think that that's so important because you really bring back that patient care perspective. Because in all of our different disciplines, I mean, we just had this conversation a second ago, but we're really patient-centered. In what we do that's why we're doing what we do right Absolutely. we're patient centered so to have this additional training really brings it back to the patient where sometimes in the past when you were sending the patients to another institution if it's not a true healthcare provider but it's, it's a geneticist they're sometimes not as they're looking at the genetics but maybe not the person do you have that sense?
1: Yeah, I mean, everyone who took that intensive course just wanted to be able to provide genetic testing Mm. and counseling in the right way, in a comprehensive way, Mm. knowing what you were talking about. And if you didn't know something, you have a group of people to go to right. who might know,
0: and that's not to diminish what a geneticist does because it's really numbers, and it's it's definitely the things that that they bring to the table. And I'm sure they were part of the team that educated you. Oh, without a without doubt. a doubt, yes. right? Oh, yes. But yes. It, but having that complement of both the geneticist and then the professional that's now been trained alongside or by them is so helpful. Absolutely, having the the um, ability
1: to to see the perspective of a genetic counselor mm. versus an APRN versus a surgeon versus mm. a GYN. Everybody brings something different to the table. Yeah,
0: that's that's incredible. And we should also say, too, that not only yourself, but then we have another team member within Dr. Sealing's office now that, was, that has been, had some training also. Yeah, Lisa, um, Dr. Sealing's PA, also went to
1: City of Hope, very recently
0: right and it's because we are seeing so many women come in look with the family history that matches the BRCA you know possibility of having the BRCA BRCA1 or one or Braca 2 right and I should
1: say even more now than BRCA1 and BRCA2 when I went to City of Hope that was I think it was 2010 so we're talking seven years ago the um, we we were talking a lot about BRCA1 and BRCA2, but now we're talking about there are many more genes that, if mutated, right. give you a higher susceptibility to not only breast cancer, but ovarian cancer and other cancers. So BRCA1 and BRCA2 are still responsible for the most... Uh, I should say BRCA1 and BRCA2 are the most common mutations that increase the risk of breast and ovarian cancer. But there are many other genes that also influence the risk of breast cancer.
0: So our audience is probably thinking, so what does this have to do with what you started your topic out with, which (laughs) is colorectal cancer, and how did we get from breast cancer to the colorectal cancer cancer topic and the Lynch syndrome. Where are we going to fit this in? So, you know, I wanted people to understand where your background was first and how it opened the door for us as an institution for other things and other issues that were happening that we saw that we needed advice from our team involved in genetic testing. So maybe you can help us a little bit. First of all, let's, let's talk about how that happened, how that door opened up a little bit.
1: Well, when, like I said, when we started, we were just testing for mutations in BRCA1 and BRCA2. Then a couple years later, um, the company who was doing the testing lost the patent to the BRCA genes, and more companies were able to offer the testing. Mm. Along with that came improvements in the technology that allowed to sequence more genes at a lower cost mm. so you could add on many more genes that influence the risk of cancer besides BRCA1 and BRCA2. So along with this one company, all of a sudden new companies were online and then offering more testing. So. I started testing people for more than just BRCA1 and BRCA2 and started actually finding people who had very strong family histories of breast cancer or ovarian cancer, but when I tested them in 2007 or 8 or 9 or 10, they came out BRCA negative. Mm-hmm. We knew something was going on. Right, because they had these
0: strong family histories. Right,
1: but all I said was, "Your BRCA1, BRCA2 negative. Clearly something's going on. We still, you, we still consider you at high risk. There may right. be a gene we just don't know about. Right. Then we became able to test for those genes. Mm-hmm. And then, indeed, we started finding people who tested BRCA1 and 2 2-, negative then, say, had a, a positive mutation in a gene called PALB2 or ATM
0: or CHECK2. Wow. There's dozens out there. So the door opened up for more and more testing and more and more genes that are being identified. So where does the Lynch syndrome come in?
1: Well, it's interesting because Lynch syndrome, I should say, ovarian cancer is part of the hereditary breast and ovarian cancer syndrome where you think of BRCA1 and BRCA2. But it's also one of the cancers that you have a higher risk in if you have lynch syndrome so ovarian cancer plus certain other cancers in a family makes you think could this family have lynch
0: syndrome hmm. so what is lynch syndrome
1: lynch syndrome is a is a is a syndrome that gives you an increased susceptibility to colorectal, uterine and ovarian cancers, those are the big 3, mm-hmm. but also other GI cancers, pancreatic, small bowel, stomach, and I can go on and on with a couple. Now, more. is it specific to women or can men carry this too? No. It, well, both everyone can carry everyone carries the genes the question is is there a mutation in the gene okay. so yes men and women equally i should also mention as a shout out to the hereditary breast and ovarian cancer syndromes men can also carry mutations in those right. genes also
0: right and i don't think men realize that
1: correct I don't because think so I few that. because women are more likely to manifest
0: with breast or ovarian right so you're going to be more apt to test them Right. Right. And only when you do some complete histories on women do you find maybe the link came from their dad. Well, you you have a fifty percent chance of having inherited a mutation
1: from your father and a fifty percent chance from your mother. So it's it's really one or the
0: other. So now as as the door opened up and you saw more and more that some of these unidentified issues in, in, in women, in, in the women you were testing. It wasn't BRCA1 or BRCA2. You're thinking, okay, it's got to be something else. They're presenting with ovarian, but is there something else? They've got GI stuff going on. That's when you started testing them for the Lynch syndrome. Correct. we
1: start I started doing larger panels, and what I try to do is test for the most genes possible that still relate to the family history of the person I'm testing. Mm. So when you have ovarian cancer in a family, well, that could be hereditary breast and ovarian cancer, or it could be Lynch syndrome. So the two Mm. syndromes are covered, or I should say ovarian cancer is covered
0: by the two syndromes. You know, it's amazing. So you have to do, the key to this is you have to do an in-depth history. But the person is presenting to you with breast cancer.
1: Right, well you sit down and you do what's called a pedigree, which is a detailed drawing of of the family tree. Right. Um, And when I do it, I ask about mother, father, sisters, brothers, children, aunts, uncles, grandparents, and cousins. And sometimes I push the envelope and I ask for great aunts and uncles. And people have varying abilities to know the details. But you do the best you can, and then I can make the best determination about the test the patient needs based on the history that I've been told. And I'm
0: sure people have to go back and ask family members, right? Absolutely.
1: Well, we try to prepare them. When they make an appointment, when my staff makes an appointment, they'll tell the patient, what I just told you, please know to the best of your ability the family members who've had cancer, how old they were when they were diagnosed, and what type of cancer it was. And sometimes patients know and sometimes they don't, but once they've sat with me and we've gone through every relative and I have the drawing of their their pedigree, I often give them a copy and then they come back for the next visit, which is once we have the results back and they'll have called (laughs) Aunt Mary or Cousin Sally or whoever knows everybody in the family in their history. And often there's many more details that they never knew about to even ask.
0: And that's so important to let them have that time, give them that time, because it's not going to change anything. Not up front. Their history is what their history is. But we say they can't change their history, right? Correct. That's the one thing you can't change. You can't change your history. And so knowing it to the best of your ability is going to help you with that blueprint of what they do now moving forward. Yeah. So most of the patients that come to you have already been diagnosed with breast cancer.
1: Um, I would say, I couldn't give you a percentage, but we, most of the patients who come to me either have had breast cancer themselves, or equally, we screen everybody who walks through our door, which is women who have breast issues. Breast issues, right. Most of them don't have breast cancer. But doing a history on that first visit will identify that family history that then warrants some more looking into. So I would say, yes, a percentage of people actually have breast cancer who come in, but many, many more don't. And then you may
0: have the either daughters or sisters or that come once their family member has been diagnosed. Have you seen that too? Diagnosed with breast cancer. Right. Absolutely. The best, best person
1: to test, though, is the person who's had cancer who's had themselves. The cancer. So sometimes we'll have the situation where a young woman comes in with a breast issue and she'll say, My mother had breast cancer when she was 45. And we talk about genetic testing and I say, You know what? Test your mom first. If she's negative, she saved you from testing. If she's right. positive, yes, we'll talk about testing.
0: So sometimes, too, I'm sure it happens where they haven't seen that family member in a while or that maybe that family member has passed. So then you have to go. Absolutely. Right? Then you have to yep. go down a different road. Absolutely. So we do it the best way
1: that's possible. So if a family member is unwilling, or unable to be tested for whatever reason. Yes, you test the person who wants and needs to be tested. tested. If it's reasonable, yes. And
0: so to clarify, what leads leads us towards the Lynch, Lynch syndrome, and because of breast, is that connection with the ovarian. Correct. So if they're not, if they don't test positive for BRCA one, BRCA two, you've done the larger panel, which, if there is a history of ovarian can lead you towards the Lynch syndrome, correct? Correct. The people
1: that we're identifying who need consideration of genetic testing for Lynch syndrome, I would say, are the people who come into the office and you ask them about breast cancer and they say no. And you ask them about ovarian cancer and they say no. And then you ask them about colon cancer, and they've had three relatives with colon cancer, or my mother had colon cancer at, you know, 49. Well, that's a red flag for Lynch Lynch syndrome testing, or I should say a larger panel that includes the Lynch syndrome genes. There are other genes that increase the risk of colorectal cancer besides
0: just the, the Lynch syndrome genes. So let's talk about that then. So we're talking about what the family history is going to look like and what are the typical questions you ask them and what leans you to the red flag. So what's a typical questionnaire look like when it leans them to towards, um, the, towards thinking it might be the Lynch syndrome?
1: The biggest one is a uh personal or family history of colorectal cancer under the age of 50. That's okay. no questions asked. That's you need a top to consider, one. Yes, you need to consider
0: this type of testing. And how about any other types of cancer? So we said ovarian. Mm-hmm. So what about the ovarian piece? Um, ovarian at any age. So anybody that's had ovarian at any age, they could be at risk for Lynch syndrome
1: or a combination of or, course of or, colon and ovarian. Oh my god. Mm. And then you get the uterine or endometrial cancer. Mhm. So that's also under 50. No questions asked. It needs to be looked into. For okay. Lynch How about prostate? Prostate cancer, I I'm not sure it's part of the Lynch
0: syndrome. Genes, it is part, part of, the breast, of the breast, right? Yes. It's part of the breast, right? Yeah. I knew there was something with prostate. Absolutely, it's definitely part of the A breast. A BRCA
1: two mutation will increase the risk of and at cancer. What, and males. what age
0: for the for the um, prostate? Because <sighs> prostate cancer happens so much later in men. Correct. And I think people disregard it. Yeah. I think women disregard that piece of their family history, and I don't know how often it's asked. Anymore.
1: We ask it, of course, in mm-hmm. our office, because we do the genetics, we right. ask for as much detail as people can give us. I would say for prostate, it's a younger age, so I would say 60, 65 or younger, okay. or an aggressive form of prostate cancer, and... They say a Gleason score of greater than seven. No one knows anyone's Gleason score. I don't know anybody's Gleason score, but what I ask. What is a Gleason score? A Gleason score is just um, it. It, I think, it tells you how aggressive the prostate cancer is. But what I try to to finesse is. How long did the person have prostate cancer? Are they still alive? What right. kind of, you know... Right, what right, kind of treatment? Yeah. Right, right, so right. when people don't know this, these specific things, you try to get a sense of how aggressive
0: it was. So we're talking about the patients that are coming into you because they've had a breast issue.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And the same process is happening in Dr. Sealing's office too. Mm-hmm. The same type of testing. Mm-hmm. But very recently, over the last several years, we've seen an increased population, of our patients being identified within our own Franklin network just through really good history, Mm -hmm. which has led them both to yourself and to Lisa to help us identify any problems, which is where we've been identifying more people with the Lynch syndrome. Mm -hmm. So I want to take a quick break, but when we come back, let's talk about that process when they come to you and what some of the counseling they get. Sure. Be right back. everyone. Robin Sills from St. Mary's Hospital. I feel like I'm echoing. I think I'm right on top of the mic. I don't know what my problem is tonight. (laughs) So welcome back to Medically Speaking. I'm so happy you can join us tonight. And if you have any questions, please feel free to call in 203-757-1320. So we are talking tonight. um, I know it's a little confusing because we're talking about genetic testing in general, um, but we're really focusing on colorectal awareness month. And we're bringing in um, the topic of genetic testing with colorectal cancer and the Lynch syndrome, is an inherited condition that gives a person a higher risk of cancers in the digestive tract, the gynecological uh, tract, and other organs. And we just felt it was really important to focus on that piece because we at St. Mary's Hospital and part of our uh, Franklin Medical Group have the availability to do genetic testing and genetic counseling with our um, breast surgeons' offices, one being Dr. Ellen Polkoff, the other being Dr. Beth Sealing, both of them located in Southbury. Um, And it's really, really important to know that we have these genetically trained um, individuals in our network so that they can help our patients anytime there's an issue or a question that they may carry, not only the BRCA gene, which is for breast cancer, but potentially the uh, Lynch syndrome, which is for, again, the colorectal. And I also want to do another shout-out to Deanna Lacurto who is a PA um, and part of our Franklin um, family, and she works with Dr. Nicole Sukan. And so within each one of our um, breast surgeons' offices, there is someone that can provide uh, genetic testing and some counseling within our network. And the person in Dr. Sealing's office is Lisa McGilligot who is a PA also Deanna Lacurto, I tease about her because Deanna's mom and I were in cheerleading together <laughs> at, here in Waterbury at the old St. Thomas Church so every time I think of Deanna Lacurto, I think of her mom jumping on my back <laughs> in those pyramids for cheerleading so when I think of Deanna I just can't believe Deanna is a PA now and she's awesome I saw Deanna the other night we have an incredible team we're really really lucky at the St. Mary's family to have such educated individuals and tonight here with me is Yvonne Ruddy Stein who is an APRN and she works out of um, Dr. Polakoff's office and is part of that team and she has gone for specific training and we talked about it earlier from the City of Hope and when we left here a few minutes ago and we were talking about the Lynch syndrome. We talked about what she looks for when she has a conversation with the patient and what leans her to test that patient. What I wanted to come back with is talking about when the Lynch syndrome comes back as positive and what's that conversation that you have with that patient as well as Who are the other patients that are being sent to you and how are they getting to you aside from the ones that have breast issues to test them for the Lynch syndrome? I'll get patients who are sent either
1: from the primary care office or a GYN's office or a gastroenterologist's office who they've identified as maybe needing genetic counseling and testing. So anyone doing a detailed family history and identifies patients, say, with colon cancer under the age of 50, endometrial cancer under the age of 50, two relatives with colon cancer, three relatives with Mm -hmm. colon cancer, any combination of colon, uterine or endometrial, ovarian, gastric, biliary tract, brain there is a whole list of cancers that that are related to the Lynch syndrome and I, I haven't said anything about the colon polyp genes mm. so not only do I look at cancer but I also ask patients, have you ever had a colonoscopy? When was your last one and most importantly, did you have any polyps? I'll I'll when a patient says yes, I'll get a copy of the report and if a patient has either an abnormal polyp or more than 10 polyps, wow. they can qualify for testing for the the polyp that they call them the polyposis gene. So mm. along with Lynch syndrome, I mean, like I said before, I try to cast my net as wide as reasonable for the family history that is identified. Right. Because you can miss something. Right. Well, that's no, what we so found. Big. If yeah. you only test for two genes, right. uh, there are so many patients that we tested for BRCA1 and BRCA2 and they were negative. And then seven years later, new testing became available and it turned out they had another gene mutation. Wow. So genetics is always changing and there's always going to be more genes so what I tell the patients is I'm really trying to get the best history I can so I can test for the most genes that I can so I don't have you coming back here in two years saying oh there's a new gene that we we just found out about
0: right right and that's you know it's so confusing (laughs) because the genetic world is so confusing for us as patients so I'm sure as the provider's within this team, you guys are really trying to just break it down as easy as you can for the patients when they come in. This is what your family history is. Let's see what we can find out. Well, that's where the counseling comes in.
2: Right. So
1: you don't just sit down, get a family history, and then draw blood or, or take saliva. What we do in the breast surgery offices is we go through what is genetic testing Mm. what test are we going to do what if it's positive what if it's negative there's also some result you can get that's called an uncertain variant you want to educate people about what they're doing before they do it and And what I tell patients when they walk in is, you haven't bought genetic testing when you sit down in in the chair in my office and, and we go through this. My job is to educate you. And if then you want your blood drawn or your saliva taken and the test done, then we'll do it. But if you decide you don't want to, I've also done my job, which is to tell you maybe there are some things you don't want to
0: know, so then don't do it. Right. But based on your family history, you should still treat yourself as someone as high risk.
1: Oh, without a doubt. So sometimes when people say they don't want to be tested or when they go ahead and they have the testing, but they're found to be negative, you still have this family history right. that warranted testing in the first place. Right. So you still need to be managed based on the history of colon cancer, the history of breast cancer, the history of ovarian cancer, and screen in a way that's
0: going to maybe detect early if you're at higher risk. So the patient that comes to you that has that conversation with you, they decide to do the testing. If the Lynch syndrome comes back positive How does that change, and what protocols happen for that patient? So there's a
1: couple Lynch syndrome genes, and it depends on which gene is positive. Some I knew you weren't going to make
0: that
2: easy. No, of course
1: not. (laughs) It's yeah. Um, Some of the genes, the risk of colon cancer may be ten or twenty percent, but some of the other ones, it's eighty percent. So depending on which gene is positive, tells you. Exactly what you need to do. But for anybody with Lynch syndrome, you need more frequent colonoscopies, which probably isn't something somebody wants to hear. However, the beauty of colonoscopies, what I tell people is, if you catch a polyp and it's removed, you've just prevented that polyp from turning into colon cancer. So it's a completely preventative
0: service. Right. You know, I think it... Johnny was just saying there's that test out there now where you don't have to where you just kind of do the test and you send it in, right? You mm-hmm. go to the you go to the bathroom and you on this little I can't remember what it's called. And you and you put it on a card and then you send it in. The mm-hmm. problem with that is Well that'll detect
1: the, an early colon cancer right? but, but you don't you remove a polyp.
0: Yeah, you're not removing a polyp. So it's misleading. To some it's ha-
1: well it it doesn't cover right. it doesn't cover everything. It, it covers cover everything. some things, covers but not things. everything.
0: But not right. everything. Right. So now some of the patients are coming to you because of, of their their breast issues, but the others that we were saying that are coming from their primary care providers or the gastroenterologists or the or the gynecologist is because those offices are now taking more in depth histories. Right, and then they're referring them to you. They're not necessarily doing the blood draws themselves because they want them to have this genetic conversation. Correct. I mean,
1: it's it's definitely it's it's definitely an in, intensive experience. Uh, the the appointment with me. Depending on the family history, it can be an hour long, but it, it it takes a certain amount of time to get that family tree, right. and then to go through the pros and the cons and the possibilities. Um, so, but patients walk out of it saying. Wow, I didn't know this was going to be so involved, but I right. think rightly so. It's, this is it not should be
0: this involved. A, this is not a 15 minute conversation. This is not a 15 minute conversation. This isn't just filling out a piece of paper like, you know, when you go to your physician and you fill out all this stuff, it's just not sitting there doing that. It's literally going through each and every one of those questions. Right, because
1: then a month later
0: or three weeks later, when the patients
1: come in for the results and I look at them and I tell them, that they're positive they have something that they've heard you know from me a month ago okay these are the things we're going to talk about if it's positive so they've been running through scenarios in their head also if they're negative I still say, all right, you're negative. This is great. You're not at high genetic risk for this type of cancer. But three of your aunts had colon cancer. You need to have colonoscopies at the very least every five years and maybe more
0: often if you have a funny polyp. Right. You know, I think that the confusing part to many of us is how genetic testing is done because it's so much in the marketplace now. Mm-hmm. It's definitely so much in the marketplace. And we see so many of these products out there. Oh, like direct to consumer, right, direct to consumer mm-hmm. testing. And I think that people because of our curiosity, not even really thinking about our family history, they just want to know. I think that, unfortunately, what they don't get, they don't get a true picture. They don't know how to read it, even though they, I'm sure these companies try to make it as easy, easy as possible, but they don't have the professional. They're sitting down and going through the results. You were just telling me, was it your dad that yeah, did something? Yeah,
1: my dad did a 23 and me <laughs> and... I said all right when you get the report let me look at it and maybe I can help you out with that it was actually disappointing it told us about the ancestry and there were no no real you know surprises there but the things it told us were things that were we knew he didn't have like right. muscular dystrophy this this type of genetic testing is to to determine if you are at increased Genetic risk for cancer. I don't think there's any direct-to-consumer
0: testing out there that, that does that. That this does that to this different. depth. Right. And these companies that you work with, because I know there's there's a few companies that, that you guys work with, these companies have research and numbers behind them, correct?
1: Yeah, they are... They're, many companies now that offer this kind of genetic testing. And in the beginning, there was one company that offered it. And more recently, now more companies are able to offer it. And what I'm seeing is that the price is being driven down. 12 years ago, it was $4,000, $6,000, which if you were lucky, was covered by insurance. If it wasn't covered by insurance, nobody was, was, you know, springing, right, Right. nobody really could do that. I just met with someone from a newer company, and their price, their cash price, is $249. Wow. And I looked him in the eye and I said, how can you do this for $249 when Lab X is doing it for $4,000? And um, basically, automation and um, technology and the differences in how they're able to process is bringing the cost down.
0: That's so important to the patient that has that high deductible plan or has the insurance that just is not going to cover it. If it's something that really needs to get done and it's such a smaller out-of-pocket expense. And I know that companies are great because they will work with you, but still. I have to say that Probably, of the people who
1: get referred to me for genetic testing and really do need genetic testing, I can get them covered about 97% of the time, but it is the people with the high deductible plans. Sometimes I'll say, all right, this isn't an emergency, let's wait till the end of the year. If you've had more things done and you've met your deductible, then I can catch that other 2% that way, but they have to wait until they've met their deductible. It unfortunately is a game. But it's that 1% of people say Medicare patients. Right. Medicare will not pay for genetic testing if you yourself have not had cancer. Well, that leaves out a significant number of people right. who should or could have this type of genetic testing, but it won't be covered. Well, now that there's this newest option I just heard about, $249, you know, families can pool together right. and say, we'll throw in a little bit here, they'll throw in a a little bit here and get that
0: person tested right because it's going to give them the information that's vital for them all
1: correct you can prevent testing children sometimes if the parent
0: is negative wow It's, it's incredible when you look at the population that you test is it do you see that they follow the protocols that you set up for them are they or how is their reaction when you tell them if they're positive. Right. And I'm going to say more the Lynch syndrome, because that's where we're focusing today. Well, the Lin- nobody likes to hear that
1: they need more frequent colonoscopies. Right. But but people are normally grateful to hear that they're positive, because they knew something was going on anyway in right. the family. Right. Because they've had so many relatives with the, the cancer. Um, and because I've prepared them by doing the genetic counseling, Ahead of they're
0: time. ready to right. move on and say, all right, what's the plan? What do we do now? Do you have people that when you get go through the entire meet, the entire appointment with them, they don't get the testing done right away and then they come back after they think about it. Do you have that? Yeah, absolutely. Because I know sometimes we have to process. Absolutely.
1: There are a few people, so I always end the counseling session by saying, okay, if you want to go through with the testing, we can draw your blood. If you don't, you can think about it. I'll talk to you in a week or two. Um, And I'd I'd say 99.5% of the people that I do genetic counseling with end up having the test done. But there are a few people who say, you know what, I, I don't want to go down that road. But I've done my job either way, whether they test or whether they don't. I've given them the information they need to make the decision.
0: Right. And and you've educated them on now, okay, you're not going to get the testing, but here's what you need to do in high surveillance. I know, as a matter of fact, I have two nieces whose mom and aunt and grandmother all had breast cancer. And at the time, one of them tested, the other did not. And when the when they te- the mom tested and she ended up being i believe BRCA negative so the one daughter chose to have more prophylactic and the other chose high surveillance and i think that when i look at them they are such a, they are such a reflection of what we have in our population of everything is a personal choice oh absolutely but once you have the information then you you know what to do and what you, you need to do and what's best for you Right. I I think one of the misconceptions out there is if I
1: have genetic testing, are you going to tell me that I need organs removed? Right. And I say, no, whether it's breast, ovaries, uterus, colon, whatever it is, there's, there's no mutation out there that demands that you have to have anything removed. You can do increased surveillance for almost anything. Absolutely. One caveat is ovarian cancer. It's hard to find. It's hard to identify. So if you are menopausal, yes, automatically. Somebody really should have ovaries and tubes removed if they have a genetic mutation that greatly increases their risk of ovarian cancer. But if that person is 30 and wants children, no. You wait until you're done having children. You do increase surveillance in the meantime with the understanding that you're going to need to make a choice about removal of the ovaries eventually.
0: When you have the meeting with the patient and you talk to them about, you know what the process is, and they do go through the genetic testing. What is your conversation back with the provider? I send... A letter with
1: everything I've talked about as far as recommendations to the patient. So anything re- regarding increased surveillance, whether or not I recommend preventative medication, whether or not I recommend preventative surgery. Um, I talk about lifestyle changes, exercise, diet, smoking, and hmm. alcohol. And then I talk about implications for family members. Mm. Who else should be tested or who does not need to be tested? I send an exact copy of that letter that I send to the patient to the referring provider, and then any other providers that the patient wants me to send it to. Mm -hmm. So for example, on a breast cancer patient that I do this genetic testing on, if I get a negative result, but the patient has had colon polyps in the past or has relatives with colon cancer, I make sure they've had a colonoscopy. Do you have a gastroenterologist? If they do, I ask if I can send a copy of the letter to the gastroenterologist because I'm making recommendations. Based right. on that history
0: of colon cancer or colon polyps. And that's so important. And, and that's incredible because that's very concise. The It is a partnership with our physicians, and we like to make sure that all the loops are closed, which I think is a huge piece to this. And I think that when individuals are doing testing kind of on their own, you know, or using some of the products that may not give them complete answers, they're not getting this comprehensive study.
1: You you want to close the loop. You really do want to involve all the providers that the patient needs in relation to what their risks are.
0: So how about that patient that comes to you or or hears this program that says, I want to just get this testing done. I think I have a family history. How do you handle that? You know what,
1: I, I once had a patient come in, she was referred because of a strong family history and when I started going through the family tree she said I don't want to do this I just want to have my blood drawn and I told her that I couldn't in in good conscience or providing the right kind of medical care draw her blood without knowing anything else about her right so I think that was the only person that that i I sent away. Then and I said away. you may find people who will do that, but I'm really sorry. I can't
0: I, I don't even know what I'm testing for if i, I if I can't ask you the initial question. Can't ask you the questions. What about the person that just wants to have it done but doesn't go through a provider? Would you recommend they start with their providers? Oh I recommend yeah absolutely that they start with the provider cuz I want to make sure things Johnny I want to make sure that the audience out there knows that your primary care your you know whoever the, your your quarterback is as I call it is guiding that plan and that we're part of it so whether it be the gastroenterologist that has asked you this questionnaire whether it be your gynecologist whether it be your primary care physician or the breast surgeon Mm -hmm. that you've gone to because you've had a breast issue that now we've discovered other things Mm -hmm. that everyone has to be a plant part of that care and it's not just a random phone call you make because you think that you might have an issue
1: right there are people who come in and say i want genetic testing and then again you go through the the whole family history there are patients who come in who have a some family history, but not enough to warrant genetic testing. Well, that saves somebody out there, whether it's the insurance company or the patient or society thousands of dollars because they didn't need it in the first place. That's also reassuring to a patient. But again, we still go back to, okay, you have a relative who had breast cancer at this age. These are my recommendations. So
0: there are always recommendations, even if genetic testing isn't done, isn't done. Um what I want to end with is if you had one takeaway for our audience in regards to genetic testing what would that be? And the, and I I'm going to say the Lynch syndrome because but we can bring it all in general.
1: Yeah, I would say regardless of the syndrome whether it's a GI syndrome or a breast and ovarian syndrome To the best of your ability, know your family history or ask the questions so that when you are asked the questions at your provider's office, no matter what provider it is, they can make a recommendation. Yes, you should consider genetic counseling and testing, or
0: no, you shouldn't. Great. I can't thank you enough for being with us tonight. This topic is definitely as in-depth as your training was so I thank you so much for coming and just giving us a snapshot and if you want to learn more about uh, genetic testing I mean you can always visit our website because we have information on stmh.org I believe we have some information about some of our testing we may a little bit (laughs) Yvonne's giving me a little bit but what you can learn more is Yvonne's going to be with us at our Sparkle event so our Spirit of Women has their Sparkle event May 10th at the AquaTurf and I'm going to have Yvonne in the room where it's just with the docs I'm going to have her in there next to our breast surgeons as well as some of our GI docs and she can answer some questions for you that night so we invite you to participate again again that's going to be May 10th and you can go on our website stmh.org and pull up every one of our breast surgeons locations Dr. Ellen Polkoff Dr. Beth Sealing and Dr. Nicole Sukan, both in um, Southbury as well as in Prospect so look on our website and pull up the information for each individual office and I want to thank everyone for joining us tonight. We are going to end our program our, our month of colorectal conversation with a program with Dr. Alexander Palesti. I believe it's the 29th that I'm back, so please join us and I want to thank you for joining us tonight. This is Robin Sills from St. Mary's Hospital, exceptional care every patient every day. Thank you. <laughs>